Please, uh, if you haven't turned there, Romans chapter 12, uh, we'll be covering verses 9 through 21. The title of this morning's message is Visible Impressions of a Genuine Faith. Visible Impressions of a, of a Genuine Faith. <clears throat> so let's begin as we normally do by reading what we're covering. So Romans chapter 12, verse 9 says, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Father, we come to you this morning, Lord, with a desire to hear from you. Lord, as your people, we do desire to bless and honor you, to glorify you. Help us, Lord, as we, as we look at these attributes, these characteristics. Lord, uh, help us to understand what they are and how to live them out in our own lives. Lord, as even I was reading through, Lord, we have certain inclinations, Lord, that come because we are battling the flesh. We're battling the influences of the world, our peers, the very work of Satan. And it makes me think, Lord, just how desperate we are, how how critical it is, Lord, to uh, be filled with your spirit and, and, Lord, to be mindful of what is true, what is good, what is pure, what will bless and honor and glorify you. And so I pray, Father, that you would instruct us this morning, or that by your spirit you would give us understanding, that you would help us, Lord, to to reveal outwardly, Lord, what is true inward. That we would, not in and of ourselves, but because the Spirit indwells us, be fruitful, Lord, to bless and honor you. And so, Lord, we commit this time into your hands, Lord. We ask your blessing, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, the outward expression of our faith is necessary to gauge its standing and to gauge its genuineness. And just as you think about a fruit tree, it's the fruit itself that will determine just how healthy the tree truly is. The authenticity of our inner faith is seen outwardly by how we conduct ourselves. The smaller parts will show the identity of the whole of a person, the smaller, uh, the details, consistently, not some of them, but all of them. The focus this morning in, the, in these verses that we're covering is that the Christian life is dependent on the great Christian doctrines, and because these things are true, this is the person that we should be. These should be the visible impressions of a genuine faith. 
We know that we are justified by faith as the word tells us that we are justified by faith. And if faith without works is dead, according to James 2.26, then the justified man does not live in the same way as the unrepentant sinner does. There is a contrast. There is a difference. There's not something that is blended together. But we are supposed to be a peculiar people. There's supposed to be some contrast. For we know in James it also says friendship with the world is enmity with God. We are consecrated unto the Lord. We are separate from the world and separated unto the Lord. Galatians 5.6 says, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. And that's what we want to see. That's what we see in these verses that the Apostle Paul has written to, written to the Christians in Rome And he's telling them, as this is breathed out by God, how it is that we are to reveal that we belong to Christ. It is faith working through love. Romans 1.5 says, Through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. You know, as we go through scripture, you know, as we're ministered to, let us acknowledge that God is, at this moment, he's, he's desiring to do a work in each and every one of us. It's not for the person next to us. It's not for the person that you're thinking about. But it's for us. He's doing that, that surgical work in our lives. That by his word, we would be brought to obedience. The obedience of the faith that we claim to have and possess. And by doing so, we bless His name among all the nations. That's why when the world sees us as a church, as Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ, they should say, those are people that although not perfect, they're absolutely distinct and different from the world. They truly belong to Jesus There's no doubt that they've been spending time in his word. Now, all of this is not to say to do these things and therefore you will know life. That's what the legalist would say. But rather, because you have life in Christ, you will do these things. 1 John 4.19 says, we love because he first loved us. We, we simply understand, we acknowledge, we have received God's love through Jesus Christ. God demonstrated his love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We understand that our hope is in Christ. We have been delivered from the consequences of our sin. Praise God for that. That's grace. And therefore, as we have that hope in Christ, we respond by demonstrating our love for God by obedience, in obedience to his word. The the visible impressions of a genuine faith is the manifestation of the work of the Holy Spirit dwelling within each and every one of us. This morning, these characteristics are what we will be focusing on. They are important because these show where we are in the expression of our faith and love of God and what we need to repent of and ask God to help us live out perhaps better to bring him glory in and through our lives as genuine believers. In 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, it says, Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves, or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you fail to meet the test. I hope you will find out that we have not failed the test, but we pray to God that you may not do wrong. Not that we may appear to have met the test, but that you may do what is right. That's what we're studying. That's what we're trying to understand. How, How is it that we are to do right? He continues in verse 8 saying, For we cannot do anything against the truth, but only 
for the truth. We need to get to a point to where we're deeply convicted. We can't do anything but for the truth, not against the truth, but for truth. We need to know truth in order to be in that place. That we are convicted when we're not of the truth, when we're not following through with the truth. That we are inclined because the Spirit is the one who is truly leading us to do what is right. So let's go through and listen to and think about these characteristics and receive this biblical, ethical admonition. And this is what we have here. It's a biblical, ethical, moral admonition. It's an exhortation. It's It's a strong encouragement. And we need to also understand that this is God's command. This is how indeed we reflect and we reveal that we belong to the Lord by expressing these very characteristics in our lives. Because in the end, we need to learn what genuine faith looks like and know how to express it to the glory of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So we're going to break these verses into two sections. Um, The first section is how Christians should act toward Christians. And the second um, section or portion is how Christians should act toward non-believers. So those two sections, the first one will be uh, verses 9 through 13 and then 14 through 21. So let's begin how Christians should act toward Christians. Again in verse 9, it says, Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. You know, the first thing that the Apostle Paul lists, and these are, you could say, they're bullet points all the way through to verse 21. The first thing that he touches on, the first thing that he addresses is that we are to let love be genuine, that we are to be genuine without hypocrisy. Love is not defined by the world. And so therefore, the love that the world defines love as is not what we are to express. It's the very love that is defined by God, by His Word as we go through the Bible. We know that God is love according to 1 John 4, verse 16. Turn with me to 1 John 4. Let love be genuine or without hypocrisy. John writes in 1 John chapter 4, beginning in verse 13. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God... God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this, love is perfected within, with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother." A love that is defined by God. Not one that we define, not one that we kind of bend to however we think or our perspective, but a love that is true is one that is found to be like what we just read. Now notice that it does not say make love genuine. As we go back to Romans chapter 12, that first verse there, verse 13 or verse 14, it does not say 
make love genuine. We are not to make love genuine, but to let love be genuine. It's a yielding of the will that allows God's love to be expressed in and through us, and we will only do this when we genuinely love Jesus above all else and desire to glorify Him. It's a yielding. It's a, it's a surrender. It cannot coexist with us insisting on our own will. Let love be genuine or let love be in the negative without hypocrisy in other words it shouldn't be an act it shouldn't be just on the surface it should be who you actually are a genuine person in christ as i considered the list that is beyond this we need to understand that everything beyond this hinges on this first characteristic if you don't have a love that is genuine in Christ then nothing none of the rest will be genuinely for his glory if we don't get this one right then the rest we will do and what we will expect is that people will acknowledge how it is that we follow through with the rest. Just how good we are. Now, how holy and righteous we are. We need to get this one right. Or else the rest just does not matter. It has to be genuine. It has to be without hypocrisy. And then he goes on to say, abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. I love that these two are put together because we have a tendency to go to one side or to the other. To be known for, I absolutely hate, I detest, I am disgusted by this evil. And that's all we talk about. That's, that's all we, we point out. You look at our social media pages and that's all we say. That's all we like, just emphasize. It also says here, the characteristic of a godly person, the person who is expressing a genuine faith, will know that you not only stand against that which is evil, but you also cling to that which is good. You see, this more closely resembles the very character of God, the attributes of Jesus. He stood against that which was false. He stood against that which was not right, that which was unholy, but remember that he also stood with that which is good and pure and holy. I always think about how it was a. I remember reading this time some, some years ago to be a man of steel and velvet. Uh, Men, we need to be known as men of steel and velvet. That we both stand against that which is evil. And I'm speaking to the men because we are to be in that place, right? Women, it's no different for you either. To be those people who stand against that which is evil, but we also are known for our gentle spirit. That we are kind and compassionate. And we're going to see all of that being played out this morning. What the godly person needs to do is also know how to hold fast or cling to what is good. Again, as we work through this list, we'll learn how this is done and what it looks like to abhor what is evil and hold fast to what is good. It should be obvious 
what is evil in the sight of the Lord. It really should be obvious as we read the word, as the Holy Spirit is convicting us of those things which are evil, what should happen as you read the word, as you run across something and you say, yep, I, I understood that was, that was not good. And, and the word simply confirmed what the Spirit had already revealed to me was not good. Verse 10, let's continue, because these are, again, our, our, our bullet points, you could see the characteristics of genuine faith. Verse 10 is broken down into two parts. It says, love one another with brotherly, brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. The expression of our love toward one another is not cold, but rather it should be warm. It is visible, it is deliberate, it is respectful, it is honorable, it is considerable. We are considering one another. John 13, 35, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. It's love in action. It's not just love in word. Just because we claim it doesn't mean that we are expressing it. Because in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12, it says, greet one another with a holy kiss. So, that's what we're going to start doing is a hug and a kiss because it's a holy kiss. No. <laughs> Listen, in some cultures, this is common. It is. I know in the Hispanic culture, this is common. Um, in certain parts of the world, it, this, is, this, is this is nothing unusual. In our culture, it's not common. It's more common to shake hands to hug or to do both. But the point, we can't miss the point here. The point is that there should be a visible and deliberate brotherly affection that is expressed toward each other. And not a distant, kind of a cold uh, attitude. You know, this is what you do with strangers. You know, like you don't know them. You're kind of apprehensive. You're not sure about, you know, friend or foe. I don't know. And you just kind of wave, like, do the, I guess guys do that, right? A whole nod. It shouldn't be cold. It should be warm. It should be visible, deliberate. Yeah, a pat on the shoulder, or, you know, something like that. But it, you know, it, it should be expressed in some way. Sister, you also outdo one another in showing honor. You know what? You know what this implies. This is, this is competition. Like, we are to be competitive in this. Any of you competitive? Liars, I know there's more. <laughs> yeah. Outdo one another in showing honor. It's a genuine expression of showing great respect. An outward expression of esteeming others more than yourselves. Well, I want to outdo you. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to honor and I'm going to be deliberate about how it is that I express my love toward you. A little bit more, a little bit more. It, that's good competition. You know, Philippians 2, 3, and 4 says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. How do we express this? It needs to be expressed. Not just, yeah, I know those verses. Philippians 2, 3, and 4. Yeah, I, I know them. Yes, I, I esteem others more than myself. But yet never express it. We need to express it. How can we do that? Look for ways of doing that. Verse 11 says, Be zealous. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. So, you know, again, I love how this implies that perhaps we could be slothful in zeal. You know, when, when that burning fire begins to kind of fade, you know, and when, whenever you sense that, just it, it should be like that, uh, that warning light on your dash. 
It should be like the sirens are going off, like an air raid siren. You know, like all kinds of things should be going off. Like, why is it that I am losing my zeal, my fervency of serving the Lord, of, of just walking with Him, of reading His Word? Why? Why? And, and you should just go back to your first love, doing those things that you did at first to get back to that place from which you fell from. Because if you're not growing in the Lord, you're falling. There is no in-between. Oh, I'm kind of just cruising. No, you're not. No, you're not. You're either growing or you're dying. There is no in-between. Because the slope looks like this. And as you're climbing, it's deliberate. You know, if you climb a hill with, uh, what is it, like shale, like loose rock. Have you ever done that? Has anyone ever climbed a hill like that? And then you just, you just stop. What happens? You start sliding back down. Spiritually, that's what we do. If you're not making an attempt at just, just growing, growing in the Lord, we're, we're going, God, you're strengthening me. You're strengthening my legs. You're strengthening my lungs. As I look to continue to climb and advance for your glory. Because the moment you stop, you start sliding back down the other way. And it doesn't take long for you to reach the bottom. So these are the things that should be going off in your own heart and mind. Oh my, I, I'm, I'm in a bad place. Yeah, you're in a bad place. If you're not fervent in spirit, get there. Well, how do I do that? You know, is it like a feeling? Nope, not a feeling. It's a decision. It, it's it's a, an expression. Uh, it's an act of the will. We get back to simply getting in God's word, being obedient to his word, fellowshipping with the saints, studying his word, and that's it. Once you start doing that which you know to be right, oh, it's amazing. It's amazing how all of a sudden we have this excitement, this enthusiasm. But do it consistently. Don't try it for a couple of days or two weeks and say, well, it didn't work for me. God is doing a greater work. Desires for you to be faithful. So, don't be lazy, don't be idle, don't be inactive, don't be sluggish, don't be slow moving, be energetic, be enthusiastic, show passion for the Lord. It has nothing to do with personality. For those of you who say, well, that's just not me. You know, for some people, and we probably have those people in mind, right? It, it's just that's who they are. They, they show this, that's their personality, Listen, it has everything to do with the state of our hearts and minds. Are we in the spirit or are we in the flesh? Are we in the spirit or are we in the world? Do we always have an excuse as to why we don't serve the Lord? Or is our heart always ready to serve and look for ways to do so? Because if we are fervent in spirit, then what will happen is it will cause us, it will push us, propel us to serve the Lord. That's why as we see here, do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. When, when our hearts are burning within us because of the love that we know in Christ, we, there's an outward expression, I want to serve the Lord. I don't care where it is. Let me serve the Lord in some way, shape, or form. This is an application to serving the Lord. The fellowship of the saints, that is the local church, is a place to worship and work for the fulfillment of making disciples and facilitating that work. That is, as we gather together, we're growing up, we're being built up in Christ and sound doctrine. And your part in this is to either directly influence that or indirectly influence that work as you yourself are growing in the Lord. Verse 12 says, Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. 
If we are able to get ourselves to understand this, then we are truly yielding our will to God's will. Do we rejoice more in the hope we know in Christ? Or do we rejoice in results, in conditions, in circumstances, in possessions, in positions, and the list can go on? What do we rejoice in? Think about that. Because the character of a genuine faith is one that is disciplined in our lives, rejoicing consistently in the hope we have in Christ and the rewards that await us in heaven. It has nothing to do with the things that we are faced with here or the things that we possess or the amount of money that we have in our bank account. It has nothing to do with all of that. Not how good our retirement is or how big or small our house is, how many cars we have in the driveway has nothing to do with all of that. It is not in results. It is not in conditions. It is not in circumstances, in possessions or positions. Our rejoicing is in one thing and one thing alone, the hope that we have in Christ. That cannot be touched. That's what we should be rejoicing in. Because the character of a genuine faith is one that is disciplined in our lives, rejoicing consistently in the hope we have in Christ and the rewards that await us in heaven. That's it, period. I, Tom and I were just talking about this morning, right? Tom? Yeah. <laughs> we're, ta we're, we're, uh, we're talking about just heaven. And how we're, there is a, a good godly jealousy for those who are there. We long for heaven. Is that what, re, you, what you rejoice in? The hope of heaven? Because if this is you, if this is true of you, then you will be patient in tribulation and constant in prayer. These things go together. Rejoice in, in the hope of heaven and in our hope in Christ. Well, you'll be patient in tribulation. You'll be constant in prayer. Because it is what you rejoice in, the hope we know in Christ. By the way, this word tribulation is not just your everyday battles. It's not that. The tribulation that is referred to here are the big things in life. Things that can just knock you down. Things that are absolutely tough to go through. 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. We need to always remember that Jesus is our steadfast anchor. Hebrews 6.19 says, We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. That is, that's our hope. And from there, he refers to verse 13, which says, Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Be generous and hospitable. To be personally generous with others is first of all in the giving of ourselves. You will not do for others if you don't know what their needs are. Something very practical, right? You won't do for others what you don't know firsthand. You don't know their needs. And you will not know their needs unless you go to them and express a genuine love toward them. How do we express that? This is part of fellowship, by the way. You cannot do this if you are absent. You can't. That's why it's important to be consistent in fellowship. This is part of it. Come together, gather together, talk with people. Get to know them. Ask them questions. What will happen is, is you'll get to know them and their needs. How can I pray for you? Is there any, anything that I can do for you that, that I perhaps have the, the ability to do? You won't know that and you won't do it unless you 
go to them and express a genuine love. This is what this, this is saying is go to them. Don't wait for them to come to you. Go to them. The reason most people won't go out of their way to get to know others is because they really don't care. They haven't learned how to look beyond themselves and they don't really want to do anything for anyone else. I'm already doing enough. I've got enough with what I have going on and therefore I really don't care. Church, we need to care. If we don't learn this, then what kind of love are we expressing? By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, by the love that you have for one another. Because love isn't feelings. It's action. Even our love toward Jesus is an expression, but it is expressed with action, not just with words. Oh, I love you, God. I know you, God. And then we don't do anything that he says. Because in John 14, 15, Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. There's, there's no dot, dot, dot after that. It's, that's it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. It's simple, but we need to get past ourselves and focus on loving Jesus and loving others. Um, also note, for those of you who are taking uh, Notes, Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 31. Mark chapter 12, verses 38, or 28 through 31. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the, the Lord our God. The Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Jesus answered. Now, the first part is how Christians should act toward Christians. The second one, how Christians should act toward non-believers. Let's continue. Verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You know, bless and do not curse as we begin in verse 13. This is, this is for your sake, by the way. It's to guard your own hearts and your own minds. Bless and do not curse. Otherwise, you will be overcome with hatred and bitterness. Anger, resentment will overtake your heart. That's what will happen. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 through 48, it says, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Remember that this is true whether the persecution comes from people without or people from within the church. Because we are warned that there will come a day when persecution will come from within. John chapter 16 verse 2 and in Acts chapter 20 verses 28 through 31. This is when the apostle Paul was warning the elders in Ephesus. 
He says, listen, I, I have to warn you. You have to be watchful. You have to be vigilant. Because from among you will rise people who are actually wolves in sheep's clothing. Will try and deceive you and take you away from sound doctrine, that which is sound. Now, we'll get to more on this with vengeance, regarding vengeance, in a few moments. Because it's a matter, as I said, of the heart more than anything Listen, the best way to destroy an enemy, you want, you want to hear how to destroy an enemy? No? Okay, we'll move on. <laughs> Make him a friend. That's, that's the best way to destroy an enemy. Make him a friend. Remember, it's a matter of the heart. That's why I'll, this is difficult. What I just read in Matthew chapter 5, that's difficult but it is the right thing to do. Verse 15 and 16 says, Live in harmony with, with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Compassion, empathy, harmony. Regardless of who they are, we are to rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Seek to understand and share in the feelings of others. You know, that takes time. That takes your undivided attention. That requires you to understand where they are. Listen, I have to admit that I have to like, slow myself down. I have to think of that person that's speaking to me. I don't find that easy to do, especially if I'm in a different mode. Um, when you go bedside from one patient who's rejoicing because they're going home, everything's fine, everything's worked out, they're healed, they're going home, and then go on to the next bed to where they have just received a prognosis that's bad, not good. How do you go from one to another and then go to... Uh, labor and delivery. And then you're trying to console and comfort parents who just lost their baby. And then you jump from that to another patient that again is just doing so well in a family that comes in. You, you have to be there in the moment. You have to rely on the Holy Spirit. You have to ask yourself, what, what does the Lord re require of me? What am I there for? Am I there for me? Because if you're there for you, then you're a wreck. You're an absolute wreck. Why? Because you're focusing on your own feelings. Now, listen, focus on the Lord. And, and these things, as far as empathy is concerned, as far as compassion is concerned, he'll give it to you in the moment. But you got to be all there. You got to be all there. We need to work on that. You know, yesterday I was watching my grandson play soccer, and one of his teammates um, I don't know who kicked the ball, but got nailed in the gut with the soccer ball. And you see the kid, like, just stop, just double over, and uh, was obviously in pain and maybe even had the wind knocked out of him. Well, our son Caleb, I see him run across the field. And instead of going to the ball, he ran to this, uh, his teammate to make sure that he was okay. Even if they scored, uh, his mom, Ada, was, was uh, telling us that, yeah, they scored a goal on us uh, one time because he did that this, on this other occasion. He just doesn't care about that. He, he has a, a heart of compassion. He would rather let them score and make sure that the person's okay. I, I, I thought, wow, what a, how awesome, you know? Because that, that's really what matters. This is what we should have, a, a heart of compassion, of empathy. This is what, is what is referred to here, learning to come alongside others. It says here to live in harmony also with one another. It, it's, it means to be considerate of the feelings of others, seeking to understand and then seek wisdom from above to handle them with compassion and empathy. Listen, we're all growing in that area. There, there's not one that has arrived. We all fall short. 
But this is what we ought to be doing. It says, do not be haughty from that, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. In other words, have a proper perspective of yourself. Be humble. Don't think of yourself so much that you won't interact with someone because you think that they are beneath you. Socially, intellectually, positionally, none of that. That's when clicks start forming up. Whether you believe it or not, whether you think it's true or not, you think that your little group is better than the other little group. And, and I, don't, I don't really care to go over there and find out about them because I have enough with my little group, right? Get out of your little group and go to the other group. There, there should be no cliques in church. We should not be clicky. We should get to know each other. We should, we should go, interact, go to. Remember? We just read it. We just learned it, right? Go to the other person. Philippians 3.12 says, Not that I have already obtained this or I am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Jesus Christ had made, has made me his own. So this is, this is the Apostle Paul. He, in other words, said, I have not arrived. I am still growing in the Lord. I am still uh, uh, yielding to the consecrating or the, the sanctifying work that he's doing in my own life. And then in verses 17 through 19, it says, uh, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. No paybacks, no revenge. In uh, 1 Peter chapter 3, in verse 9, it says this. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless for to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. You see, we have an inclination to pay back. You might not, but others do. No, we have a tendency. We have an inclination to pay back, to seek revenge, to do unto others as they have done unto me, and then more. But the more important thing is to not pay back, but to honor the Lord with our hearts and therefore pay up in the sacrifice of our own wills, our will to God and to fulfill his will. Because we know that God will judge and he will. So leave it to the wrath of God. Now, I will point out that it is not always possible to live at peace with all men. Because as we read if possible, if, if possible, live peaceably with all. This means that it will not always be possible. Learn to discern when that peace is to be disturbed by handling things, by standing on the side of truth and in opposition to what is false, what is sin. Because there comes a point, as it says here, this doesn't say compromise and live peaceably with all. It doesn't say that. If possible, as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. But that implies that it's conditional. In verses 20 and 21, it says, To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Again, this is a deliberate effort to guard our hearts in Christ and not allow evil to overcome us. Because if this is not followed through, then we could very easily be overcome by evil. And it will absolutely infect our hearts. This is a, you know, heaping coals on the head of our 
enemy. Um, there's a couple different views on that. Is that is by doing so you heap a, a whole bag full of uh, hot coals and you burn them to death, right? No, you don't do that. It's, it's conviction. It's a burning conviction. The other one is to realize that the days in which this was written, to, to do that with a neighbor was to bring them that which was necessary that they could keep warm in their own homes. It was, it was something that you were doing that was kind and it was nice. It was uh, a gesture of a good neighbor. You were bringing them coals because theirs has, has gone out and there's no way of, of, of starting a fire without some burning coals and you give it to them. It, it's kind affection. It's warm kindness. You do this and you give no place to wrath. James 1.20 says, For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. If you insist on remaining in your anger and seek vengeance and payback, then your heart will grow cold. It'll be hardened. And you will be in that place of sliding back down the hill. How Christians should act toward Christians, how Christians should act toward non-believers. The outward expression of our faith is necessary again to gauge its standing and genuineness. Where's yours? With all of this, really, what we should have been doing is, is taking inventory. Where's our heart in all of this? Because the authenticity of our inner faith is seen outwardly by how we conduct ourselves. The smaller parts will show the identity of the, the whole of a person. The visible impressions of a genuine faith is a manifestation of the work of the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. How is it being revealed? How is he being revealed in our lives? Because Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. These are those works. They are the marks of a genuine faith. And the question is, are they reflected in your life? And I'll leave you with that question. Father, we thank you, Lord, once more for your word. And I ask, Lord, that you would just bless this time of reflection, Lord, of perhaps a time to think about the things that have been addressed. And I pray, Lord, that, that we would truly yield to your will by your spirit bringing us conviction, Lord, wherever that may be necessary, that we would most more closely resemble um, you in our lives. And so, Lord, we, we leave that in your hands. We simply want to follow your lead and your work. So, Lord, be with us, Father. If, if Lord, we, we're not at that point, if someone's here that uh, doesn't know and Jesus is Lord and Savior, I, I pray, Lord, that this morning would be the day of salvation, that there would be a simple surrender, a belief that you, Father, sent the Son to die on the cross in their place to pay for their sins in full. And they believe that not only did you send him, but he died on the cross for their sins and was buried three days later, rose from the grave, that, that everything in Scripture pertaining to Jesus is true. And Lord, as, as they cry out to you that they confess their sins and, and receive your grace, the forgiveness of sins, and therefore know and rejoice in the hope of eternity in your glory by expressing that faith. Lord, be with us. Help us to continue to climb, to continue, Lord, to grow in the Lord. In Jesus' name we pray.